Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Political State from the Oklahoman. I'm Ben Felder on another Friday afternoon and uh, the legislature, legislative session has come to an end. We're going to talk about that. The political state crew, Dale and Justin, are going to be in the studio with me later on in this episode to discuss everything that we saw and what to expect in the coming weeks and months. But joining me for this first segment is uh, our guest this week is Liz Wagner yes. of the uh, uh, Oklahoma Women's Coalition. Uh, Liz, thanks so much for your time. We yeah, appreciate it. Happy to be here. Well, um, I just like I just mentioned, the legislative session has come to an end, so a lot of looking forward. Yes. But I think we still need to look back because uh, you know a lot of things happened this legislative session. And maybe the you know the, the biggest issue was is still that the two week teacher walkout, yep. um, and the impact that it had on the legislature. Obviously, mm-hmm. the um, the tax increases and, and teacher pay and ending of education funding increases that went into effect right before the walkout, yeah. and then some additional things that came out there. Um, I'm just kind of curious to get your 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 take as someone who's observing you know the action of the Capitol, observing the advocacy effort mm-hmm. um, that we saw for two weeks. Mm-hmm. I mean, what were just what was your your major take? takeaways from this? Well, as um, a public education supporter, my kids go to Oklahoma City Public Schools, um, and as an advocacy junkie, I was thrilled. I, you know, we see uh, lobby days, you know, every day at the Capitol is some special interest day, and then people leave and go home, and those Mm -hmm. issues aren't prioritized anymore. Um, And so to see this consistent surge and see the community, the business community, uh, the nonprofit sector, I mean, everyone across the state overwhelmingly supported the teacher walkout. Um, And so I think for me, I was just like having a Braveheart moment, like go for it, go get it. Um, and, And obviously, as an advocacy organization, our main goal is to empower people to advocate for the issues that are important to them, to mm-hmm. use their voice. And so to see people up at the Capitol who probably have never been there or maybe have yeah. you know, taken a field trip there or something when they were younger, but this is their house. Mm-hmm. This is their building. Uh, it's the people's house. And so for them to show up and to use their voices to learn who their legislators are, understand a little bit more about the legislative process, um, face some of the same frustrations that advocates face on a daily basis and lobbyists face on a daily basis uh, with trying to communicate with legislators. Sometimes there's a, you know, a disconnect. Um, While there were frustrations, overwhelmingly, I was so encouraged to see them be so consistent um, and, and stick with it for that amount of time. Yeah. I don't think anyone expected them to stay that long. No, you know, yeah, I think you're exactly right. You know, you know, frustration is nothing new at the Capitol. Right, right. It's nothing new for, it's not unique to Oklahoma, but especially in recent years, I mean, the frustration level has been high. And it's been interesting because in election years, you often hear there's so much frustration, you know, voters are going to make a change. And, right. and for the most part, um, you know, someone who's covered lots of elections, you get kind of cynical. You're like, well, you know, things aren't going to change right. because elections are largely predictable in, in many ways when you kind of look at the, the key elements. Um, some people are predicting maybe another another wave or change election, What you know, whether that means flip seats or whether that means you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, more moderate members uh, of certain parties and certain seats. Um, I'm still kind of skeptical, but I also <laughs> think I also think uh, I mean skeptical that we'll see the, that kind of shift. But um, I also think that if we do see a shift, we can look back and say, well, we, they shut down schools for two weeks. 100%. That definitely is going to have some kind of impact, right? I believe, and I I am also a skeptic when it comes to this sort of thing because unfortunately, legislators go back into their communities when they're campaigning and they say, I support public education. And everyone applauds and says, yay, they do. But no one actually checks to make sure that that is the case. And so now teachers, pro-education, you know, people in the community, they know 
how to check. They yeah. know how to go to the website and look up votes. I mean, I've I've spoken with associations and, and agencies and groups who are kind of building support for like a pro-public education, big push for those candidates. Mm -hmm. um, and they're actually going back to votes on public education funding bills for the last several yeah. years and pulling how members voted. So now when they go to those town halls and say, I'm pro-education, you can say, actually, yeah. you know, on this bill, this bill, this bill, you, you voted no. You voted no against funding for public education. So how explain that discrepancy to us? So I think um, the level of engagement, the level of accountability, the level of awareness uh, within our communities has absolutely gone up. And public education, the teacher walkout, not only did it demonstrate overwhelming public support for public education and for our teachers and educators uh, and for public employees and for state employees. Um, it also absolutely uh, solidified that public education is the number one question that everyone is going to be asking when a candidate knocks on their door. Mm -hmm. Where, what's your stance on this? You know, what did you think about the teacher walkout? Uh, I mean, we, we're seeing it in the gubernatorial debates. Uh, we're seeing it in all of those forums and all of those yeah. platforms. Um, it, I'm a little less cynical than you yeah, <laughs> this uh, time. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and, and just a preface, uh, my cynicism is not because I have a, a, a horse in the race, but just in yeah. terms of, you know, wanting to, you know, whether or not how much drama there's going to be. But you're right when you say, you know, when you, when you saw tens of thousands of teachers at the Capitol, and not just teachers, but parents and others, yeah. um, you know, I was kind of, one of the things I took away from it is how many who said they had never done this before. Not just right. not just that they had not had a walkout before, but that they had never come to the Capitol. Right. They never talked to the lawmakers. Yep. And so if there is a, a heightened awareness, as there seems to be, and if everyone that rallied at the Capitol, if the, if, for the most part, um, if what happened influences what they decide to do, how they decide to vote, if they decide to vote, mm -hmm. I mean, we saw such a large number that's going to have some, some kind of impact. Yeah. You know, one thing I wanted to ask you about is, um, you know, in your organization that's advocating uh, for women and, and girls here across the state, um, and when we're talking about the teaching profession, it, this is a this is a women's issue. You're going to get me on my okay. platform. So, it absolutely is a I mean, women's issue. And, uh, you know, there are, some, there are some great, you know, male teachers out there, absolutely. but this is a profession that's, that's largely uh, made up of, of, mm -hmm. of females. You know, I, um, a few years ago, uh, the New York Times education writer, Dana Goldstein, had a book called The Teacher's Wars. Or teacher wars, and I read it a few years ago. And after the the walkout, I, I I reread it, and I was in a coffee shop, and someone asked me about the book, and said, "Well, what really? What's this book about? In a nutshell, it's about the history of the teaching profession." And I said, "You know, I don't have, I don't know any better way of putting it than um, teachers." face such large obstacles, mainly yeah. because they're, it's made up of females. I mean, even yes. since the early days of the profession, yeah. um, women were, uh, were, were targeted as teachers because there was a thought that we could, we could pay them less. I mean, so even since the very beginning. 100%. So anyways, all that to say, I mean, talk a little bit about just how important of a women's rights issue it is when we're talking about uh, you know, labor issues yeah. uh, among educators. Yeah, I mean, at the coalition, one of our major issues and major platforms is pay transparency. Um, because we see it as a necessary component to starting to <laughs> reduce the overwhelming wage gap, especially yep. that we see in Oklahoma. Um, what I wanted to kind of yell from the fourth floor rotunda during the teacher walkout was, this is absolutely a gender issue. This is absolutely because this, is, this profession is dominated by women. And unfortunately, women throughout the country, but in Oklahoma, uh, are not seen as capable, mm -hmm. as, even if they have the same experience, education, uh, you know, same job requirements and responsibilities, 
even when you attribute for you know all of the other like you know responsibilities and obligations within the job and all of those you know different education there's still a large percentage of the wage gap that's unaccounted for and it necessarily contributes to the implicit biases that we have against women in the workplace um, you know maybe it's it's just those unconscious, just generational, cyclical thoughts that we have and beliefs that we have about women working, uh, women in, in the teaching profession, you know, mm-hmm. um, whether that be because they are an economic liability, because they have to take off more to take care of their families or, you know, whatever the, the thought may be. Um, so my goal <laughs> as the coalition is to engage educators mm-hmm. and engage especially female teachers but also our male allies uh, in all of the issues that impact women in Oklahoma. So I, I know a lot, I spoke with a lot of teachers during the walkout and especially after the walkout, there was a lot of frustration with, you know, we have all of this energy, we have all this frustration and passion and we wanna continue to fight for our kids and for our classrooms and for our schools. What do we do? How do we do it? Do we start an initiative petition? Many said, forget it, I'm running for office. If someone's gonna do it, I'm gonna do it by winning that seat. Um, My number one, you know, message to those people is educate yourself on the other issues that are impacting women and impacting the most impoverished and disenfranchised populations in Oklahoma because they all are connected. They all parallel and are domino effect. When we don't adequately fund preventative services, when we don't adequately fund substance abuse mental health services, when we don't educate our educators Mm -hmm. on adverse childhood experiences and the impact they're having on kids and and behavior, when we just treat the symptoms Mm -hmm. but we're not treating the root, we're not having a holistic approach to training families, you know, and starting to reduce the cycle of incarceration. Kiddos are trying, we're we're judging them for not getting their homework done, but they don't have a parent at home, you know, consistently to ensure that. So this is a much bigger issue than just prioritizing public education. uh, And it's a much bigger issue than just teacher pay. Uh, This is a systemic problem in Oklahoma. We have continually lacked prioritization of the most important parts of a healthy society and another thing I want to tell the teachers and and you know anyone who came to the walkout uh, in support of education this is a culture shift this is going to take a lot of time Uh, unfortunately policy and necessarily policy uh, takes time especially good policy Uh, takes time to start to, to see a shift in how our society and how our culture prioritizes things. So we have to be consistent and we have to be concise mm-hmm. and we have to be uh, very organized in our messaging. And if you support public education, you should support criminal justice reform. If you support public education, you should support uh, women's rights and economic opportunities mm-hmm. for women. You should support pay transparency. You should support paid family leave. All of these things intersect. All of these things work together. Um, and so be an advocate for all of the social justice issues and for all of the economic issues because they all feed one another. Yeah. Well, that walkout is definitely, you know, a giant boulder in the in the lake that we've already seen the impact of those ripples. And, yeah. uh, you know, one way or another, I think that's going to continue this year. What that looks like in, in June and the election in, in November, um, you know, in the, in the general election remains to be seen. But it definitely seems like there's been... Um, there's been somewhat of a shift and it'll be interesting to watch and see how big of a shift or or what the result of that looks like. I'm excited. For the first time in a long time, I feel 
really optimistic about the level of civic engagement we're seeing, um, you know, not just in urban area, areas, but in rural Oklahoma as well. Um, people know their legislators now, uh, they know their state senator and their state representative, and they are feeling more confident in engaging them. Um, and so we're going to see, I, I predict we're going to start to see a shift of the people who, obviously we saw record numbers of people run for office, yeah. which I would love to make that connection to the, mm-hmm. the teacher walk-in, and I think it's safe to do so. Uh, so I, I think we're going to start to see some ripples in starting to move toward a culture shift. Yeah. Well, hey, let's bring you back on the show as we we admire those results. Absolutely. I'd love to. Yeah. Liz Liz Wagner with the Oklahoma Women's Coalition. Uh, Thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'll be back with uh, Dale and Justin as we continue this episode of Political State from the Oklahoma. Hello, and welcome back to Political State from the Oklahoma here in segment two. The Political State crew joining me here in studio, Dale and Justin, an ecstatic Dale because the legislative session has come to an end. We think, what has, but uh, yes. House and Senate members have gone home. Maybe they'll return this later this summer. We'll get maybe, into that here in a moment. We'll but uh, but you are, as you just said before we returned, uh, are ecstatic about the, the end of another session, right? Bursting with joy. Yeah, but a little sad too. It's always like the end of the school year, right? It's. Uh, it is. Uh, I said. Uh, I said my goodbyes with some legislators that I may never see again, um, or if you know, it may be a, a long time, but certainly won't get to work uh, with them uh, uh, day after day and chasing them, da- them down for quotes. Well, when they all become lobbyists, you'll still you'll see. Yeah, they'll around. come back. <laughs> you'll see them at the Capitol. You'll still get to get your yearbook signed. Um, but so we saw last night, Thursday. Um, the legislature broke. Um, you know, the budget was done. Yes. Um, but some last-minute, maybe social issue grabs that we saw this week. Yeah, we saw uh, yesterday the uh, the uh, adoption of the the Ten Commandments uh, bill. Kind of kind of snuck up on everyone. Um, that wasn't really a topic that was generating a lot of talk as the legislature wound down. Um, but they they approved a bill that would allow uh, the placement of the Ten Commandments on uh, on government property. Um, and they also approved Senate Bill 1140, which gained a lot of traction on social media. Uh, what that bill does is allow uh, faith-based adoption agencies to continue their work with clients uh, that meet their, uh, their what, the, what they feel is uh, religious convictions, basically, mm-hmm. and also receive state funding to do so. So this would be basically, you know, an adoption agency could restrict adoption to a same-sex couple. That's kind of one of the scenarios that got a lot of it. Yep, a lot of, that, a lot of that, is, that is possible, and without without worrying about losing their funding, uh, their state funding. Did you get it? Now let's start talk about this one for a moment, because you're right, this one has got received a lot of attention. It appears that there's been a lot of advocacy from groups that are pushing back, calling the governor's office. Um, I mean, I know, you know, obviously she hasn't told you what she's going to do, but you, you get a sense that this might be one of those that actually is weighing kind of heavy with her. I mean, I don't, I mean, I'm sure she, you know, philosophically agrees with it. I mean, you know, as a, as a conservative leader, but, uh, you know, I wonder, you know, when she's thinking about the image of the state and, and you know, and, you know, and, you know, businesses that, you know, mm-hmm. may want to be recruited here that don't look too fondly on these kind of issues. I mean, do you feel like this might be one to watch in terms of her veto pen? I, I'm sure she may consider that, but uh, it's also worth considering that there are other um, sort of similar laws that uh, were being uh, considered across the country, including one I think in uh, Missouri that went a lot farther than, uh, than the bill that she's being asked to sign. Uh, essentially, the the changes made in law here uh, wouldn't necessarily change a whole lot from what's going on right now. 
uh, basically gives uh, some immunity uh, to these uh, uh, faith-based or religious adoption agencies to continue doing what they're doing. Now, uh, the opponents say that it's state-sponsored discrimination. Yeah. So we've got a little God. We also got a little guns. We do. Week, right. Yes, uh, the legislature adopted uh, constitutional carry. That's what it's called. Basically, it would allow anyone to carry a firearm, a handgun, or whatever you want to carry um, without having a, uh, a permit, concealed carry permit, uh, and also the training that comes along with that. The OSBI, the, uh, the state investigative agency that handles those permits, uh, uh, came out kind of against it, uh, basically saying, listen, if you, if you do away with, uh, with the, uh, this, if, if the governor were to sign it, if it were to become law, uh, we, would, uh, uh, we would have a lot of, uh, would have people being able to carry around a firearm without getting a lot of background checks that aren't done at the moment of sale, at the point of sale, because the permitting process uh, also comes with uh, a series of uh, background checks that focus on uh, that look more towards state data rather mm -hmm. than the national uh, NCIC, NC, NCIC, NCIC, I think. Anyway, the, like that. whatever the federal <laughs> check is. Yeah. Um, and also uh, mental health records that are older than uh, 2015. That's also something that OSBI looks at before they give someone a permit. Yeah. You know, it kind of felt like a kind of a reversal of sorts this year. This year was all kind of, you know, messed up. Not well, just different in a lot of ways. <laughs> Maybe yeah. messed up. I don't know. Um, you know, of course, the walkout. Uh, you know, had a big impact that, that two-week uh, you know showdown at the Capitol. Um, you know, the legislature got the budget done fairly early compared to years, and usually that's the last thing it's done the budget and then they go home. Um, but maybe it's it just seemed like maybe some some legislators felt like you know we've been we were too focused on the budget we didn't get a chance to get to the you know for them maybe some of the fun stuff that we usually are hearing a lot more on the early weeks. I mean, it kind of seemed like a, a, a you know we heard some of these social bills right. early on, but they didn't seem to get as much attention this year because of the budget. You know, especially once teachers kind of came out and started threatening the walkout. Um, you know, so we got the budget done, and then you know. You know well, here's here's the thing today. to think about, uh, and and the the people who write the budget of the legislature, I think they're right in saying this is that they've been working on the budget constantly for so long, and and so in depth that they were able to get it done um, uh, within two months of coming to the, to the Capitol for regular session, um, and usually this last month of May is when they would be voting or uh, finalizing details of the budget but they've already been working on it mm -hmm. and so by uh, approving the budget early um, they uh, and especially the education part by April 1st and uh, the regular budget a little bit after that uh, there really wasn't a whole lot left to do um, you had some bills that were sort of uh, that had to be done mm -hmm. uh, to maybe make fixes in law uh, or set some policies that Oklahoma needed with the change of alcohol modernization. Um, uh, beyond that, it's all sort of discretionary bills. Uh, what a lawmaker might think is a good idea trying to get that forward. But, you know, I think uh, there's a lot of fatigue at the legislature, and a lot of people wanted to get home as soon as possible, start campaigning and knocking on doors to explain their vote on the tax increase. Um, and, and generally get as far as away from the capital as they could as soon as they could because it's been uh, pretty much a 15-month ride for them. Yeah, 
I just yeah, we're so now we're in we're in election season full blown right now. I mean, a, yeah. a lot of members aren't running for re-election, so they're you know maybe kicking back, but uh, a lot of members still are, and uh, you know it's it's full fledged focused towards the primaries right now. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about general elections, which will be a, a hot topic. But first, you have the primaries, and you have a lot of uh, Republicans going back to conservative districts that will have to explain their votes, or may even get blamed for votes that they didn't take that the legislature mm -hmm. took things that. Legislature passed. There was a tax increase. There was a budget that's larger than usual, and those are things that usually uh, conservatives are not going to be uh, big proponents of. So it will be interesting. I'd like to follow some of those Republicans as they go back to districts and try to explain their votes because uh, it will be it'll be interesting to see what they hear. Yeah. Are we expect? I mean, but we're expecting you know, I, you know, the budget, the tax increase. I mean, I, I feel like that's going to be you know a really central. You know, theme in, in a lot of these races, right? Yeah, uh, especially if you're conservative and, and your district doesn't like tax increases. Um, there could be a reckoning when a lawmaker comes home to uh, to uh, explain themselves and explain why they did what they did, mm -hmm. uh, or if they voted against the tax increase, uh, explaining to people um, why they uh, allegedly didn't support teachers and education. Um, uh, I think that'll be a predominant discussion um, over the next few months, especially during the primaries, um, and more so in the Republican primaries, where you have typically people who oppose tax increases. Yeah, we, you know, um, I think if you're a Democrat, you know, you're probably feeling like, hey, this this potential potential to be a good year for us. You know, I'm not going to take back power or anything like that, but maybe yeah. we can pick up some seats. Uh, voter frustration or Oklahoma frustration seems to be pretty high right now, um, but you haven't really seen when you talk about the Republican primary. You know, for for a moment when you look at the, the gubernatorial primary for, on the Republican side, um, you haven't necessarily seen that that big shift to the to the middle. I mean, it's still mm -hmm. you know, and and even more so over the last couple of weeks, there's still this kind of competition to see who can out you know you know flank someone to the right a little bit. Um, you know. Most of the candidates have continued to say that they are against. They were against the tax increase. I mean, hearing some candidates now come out with ads about illegal immigration and some of these other social issues. So it's not like we've. It's not a new era completely in the sense to where, you know, the Republican you know party, which is the dominant party in the state, has you know, shifted tons to the middle. Or at least the mm -hmm. candidates don't believe so. Well, I mean, uh, maybe maybe Jessica talked about this, but aren't aren't Republicans in a stage right now where they're uh, trying to find themselves uh, a little bit, um, mm. especially on the on the national stage, we have a new president um, and a new political attitude um, all across the nation. In Oklahoma, maybe not so much um, until you realize that uh, that Republicans endorsed and passed um, a uh, probably the largest tax increase in history, and the first one definitely in almost three decades. Yeah. Uh, so, who are Republicans? I think is a is a question that that uh, voters are going to have to uh, have to think about pretty hard, and and candidates are going to have to define for themselves as they present themselves to voters. Yeah, yeah. And what do they want the Republican Party to be? Because it's very different right now in rhetoric and in action. Uh, Oklahoma Repub the Repub the Oklahoma Republican Party is rhetorically very conservative, very conservative fiscally, socially. In action, it's still conservative socially, but not as much fiscally. I mean, in this last legislative session, this governor is not as conservative as 
rhetorically you often hear Republicans being in action. Yeah. And so there are some differences. And where they go with the Republican gubernatorial primary is a big indication. If they want to go the way this president has gone, you know, maybe you have someone like Kevin Stitt, the businessman with no political experience. Um, if they want to go with a more standard conservative, it's Todd Lamb. If they want to go in a more moderate direction, uh, it's Mick Cornette. And, and there are some other candidates in there, and they could go different ways. You want to go you know, hardline social conservative, it's Dan Fisher. So there are just some different approaches there. That would be interesting to see, because I'm not totally sure where most Oklahoma Republicans stand in just in terms of Republican voters right now and which direction they want their party to go, because they don't seem thrilled with Mary Fallon. Um, they largely support Trump, but not in some areas like here in Oklahoma County. So it, it'll be interesting. I mean, and we really just may not know until some of these votes come in, until we find out in primaries which directions they start going within their own party. Yeah. Don't you think that there will be a down ballot effect um, depending on if a particular, so let's, let's imagine a precinct votes for Gary Richardson. And in that precinct, you also have a choice between a, uh, an incumbent Republican who voted for the tax increase and a Republican who's trying to unseat that person um, who's against taxes. Uh, who's the constituency going to vote for if they if they support Gary Richardson or, or someone um, who is uh, sort of the, the the traditional what you would consider a, a conservative sort of anti-tax and vocally mm -hmm. at it um, are they uh, also going to support the legislative candidate who more closely aligns to that uh, to that political philosophy yeah I, I want that's a great point I mean I wonder if you're going to actually see some I think you could see some voters who said who would say you know I, I support the tax increase even though I'm an anti-tax I feel like yeah. you had to do something but it's going to not be inclined to vote for the lawmaker that they think is more likely to vote for another tax increase. I mean, you know, I, I don't, I haven't heard anybody say that we're in this new era of tax and spend in Oklahoma. I don't think that's true at all. Um, but if you're, you know, if you're a Democrat or a progressive thinking that, you know, hey, maybe the legislature is moving a little bit more to the middle when you just saw this big tax increase, I think it could be the opposite. It could be after this big tax package, it, you know, voters' appetite may be even more anti-tax now. I mean, because I do think that there, there was some polling that showed and, and some other evidence that showed that even conservative members of the conservative voters thought, you know, we have to do something. You know, maybe we do have a, a revenue problem, you know, and not just a spending problem here. But, uh, but now that this big tax package is, has been approved, I wonder if, if your average conservative anti-tax voter is going to be like, well, now I'm even more skeptical how money gets spent. Now I'm even more determined to see audits and to make sure we've given you even more money. And so now you have to be extra, you know, careful and responsible with it. And now we definitely don't want to see any more, any more tax increases. Yeah. Uh, something to watch out for in the, in the, uh, in the primaries. Yeah. We, we I think, yeah, that voter is probably the one who has the enthusiasm, is more willing to go to the polls. Primaries are run to the right or run to the left, depending on which party you're in, because those are the voters who come out, the really dedicated voters, are more inclined to be conservative or liberal, depending on, again, on which party you're in, and the Republican Party more likely to be more conservative. So those voters are more inclined to come out in a primary, and that's why you have candidates that run to the right. So there's an enthusiasm gap right now that's... Mm -hmm. Democrats have the enthusiasm on their side. That's why we talk about November probably being good for Democrats nationwide and in the state. It's the enthusiasm gap. You have Democrats who are really enthused, and you have Republican voters who, again, because of that 
you know, ambiguity that we just talked about, not knowing exactly where their party stands, and some faction you know, breaking off within the party, Republicans are just going to be inclined to not be as enthused, unless it's really their candidate in the gubernatorial race. So. Yeah. Yeah, It'll be interesting. Yeah, yeah, a lot to watch. Yeah, I mean, and it also, like, what else is on the ballot? You know, so in November, you know, there's potential that there could be a state question or an initiative to remove the tax increase, uh, which may actually inspire those who supported it, support, you know, more educators to come out and say, man, we fought for this. We don't, you know, <laughs> we're even more, you know, frustrated now we're going to go out there. There's some schools that are, you know, are, are closing down. UConn is not going to have school on election day, you know, trying to mobilize the attention on that. Then in June, we have the medical marijuana state question. You wonder how, what kind of voter does that bring out? Does that bring out maybe more conservative voters like, I'm not so sure that this is what you know, I want to see, or, or the opposite. I mean, and that's, you know, I mentioned earlier in this segment that you know, maybe lawmakers may be back at the Capitol. That's one thing that you've reported on is that if this thing gets passed, if the medical marijuana question passed, there's still a lot to be decided. Lawmakers may return to, to make some of those decisions, right? Right. And, and I was talking to the, uh, the House floor leader today, and he told me that it's not a, a guarantee that they come back if medical marijuana passes. Obviously, there is some uh, regulation uh, that uh, might need to happen. It, it kind of depends on what the uh, what the agencies who would be tasked with uh, overseeing implementation of that, if these agencies can can implement their own policies and regulations beforehand, or if it's going to take an act of the legislature, we're gonna have, which can you know only really takes a couple of weeks um, uh, if they need that to get done. Uh, obviously, the rulemaking process is, uh, is you know, takes a long time. You introduce the rule, the next meeting, the next month, uh, you, uh, uh, you debate it, and then it goes into effect a little bit after that. So uh, uh, there's going to be, uh, there is a lot of discussion still happening, uh, even today, and that will happen over the next uh, couple of months. Uh, to determine whether the agencies can handle uh, any uh, or c can handle the medical marijuana uh, uh, infrastructure that's going to mm -hmm. crop up if uh, Oklahomans pass it. Yeah. Not to mention the agency tasked with enforcing those is under federal investigation right now, the Department of Health. Yeah, that, has, that complicates that, things a little bit. It does complicate <laughs> yeah. things. So, well, big tax package already approved. Are we going to see pot approved? What, what year is this? Who, you know, you're right. There are a lot of questions. <laughs> no. What, who is the Oklahoma voter right now? I'll get uh, young Democrats out quite a bit, though. That 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 question will get some demographics who don't come out in large numbers. I think would be more inclined to come out. That can have an effect, and uh, not to shift topics too much, but the fifth district congressional race, mm -hmm. where you have a lot of Democrats running, who they're more inclined to support in that. Uh, I mean, uh, I don't want to speculate too much there. Yeah. I mean, but you may have certain candidates who benefit from more, a better turnout from young Democrats and um, more liberal Democrats who are more inclined to support something like marijuana. Yeah, yeah, well, no, definitely. Those, uh, those state questions definitely um, influence, you know, who comes out to, to vote. And I think in June, I mean, obviously the, the GOP primary is probably going to be, you know, one of the big things to watch, but that, that medical marijuana will probably be right up there. Mm -hmm. and, and so a lot of people are going to probably go to the polls just for that. And then they're going to be asked to also cast a ballot for a few other few other races as well. Yeah, well, they have to be registered to vote. And uh, last day to register to vote for this election is June 1st, so they've got uh, less than a month. If you're, if you're not registered to vote, you've got less than a month to, uh, to go get your registration. Yeah, well, Looking if you're listening or watching... Watching this show, of course you're registered yeah. to vote, right? If you're a voting age, of course you're registered we'll, to vote. We'll if you're assume. watching political state, I don't know what you're doing if you're not a registered voter, uh, you know, spending your time watching this. So, But thanks uh, for watching regardless of who you are.
Well, he's thank you. Regardless of what, get Whoa. stop right now. Go go uh, go register to vote. <laughs> Deposit right now. We'll wait. We won't. Um, well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Political State. We'll end right now to give you a chance to register to vote, and uh, we look forward to hearing um, hearing that you did uh, by the time next week for next week's episode. Uh, well, guys, thanks for joining me. Uh, as always, uh, with Justin and Dale, I'm Ben with the Oklahoma, and this has been another episode of Political State. We'll see you next Friday.